Praise the Lord for the message of that song. Truly, everything that we see and we don't see, the visible and invisible things in this world are caused and created by God Almighty. Amen? But the greatest thing that he ever created is that he put a new heart, a new nature in us the moment we got saved. So I'm excited to share God's word today, and I'm excited for next Sunday also. Once again, it's a remarkable display of God's faithfulness to us that our church will be able to reach 35 years. And once again, we always look back and have this indebted gratitude to the people that God has used to be the instruments whereby this church was uh, established. Of course, we thank God for the life and legacy of Pastor Max for uh, just following the vision and calling from the Lord to start just a simple Bible study. Amen? Then uh, by God's grace and mercy, was able to develop it and evolve into a church organized and people got saved and baptized and men had been trained, amen, to preach the word of God and missionaries had been supported for those many, many years. Children were also brought up here and raised and now they are young professionals, amen, uh, shouldering the ministry of our church as you a lot of you know, a lot of them sign up for church officers for the year 2023. So this coming Sunday is just uh, a Thanksgiving service, uh, a time that we can reflect on God's goodness and faithfulness in our church. So we thank God for Mrs. Mendoza for sticking around, amen, remaining with us and praying for us, supporting us any way possible. And all the early members of this church who sacrificed and prayed and are still here. Amen? To God be the glory. So we'll be encouraged. Um, we will still have our morning Sunday school. It's always great to have Sunday school. Amen? To condition our hearts for worship for the Word of God, then we'll have our anniversary Sunday. And we have a prayer request as our theme for this um, year is Enlarge Our Coast, found in the book of, uh, 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 I think, First Chronicles, you know, about Jabez's prayer. And we just pray that our Lord will grant our wish, our prayer, that we can have an expansion in this God-given property. Uh, pray for the variance, pray for our property and space uh, committee, that the Lord uh, will continue to shower us with favor. And it's our heart's desire to enhance and enrich this place that already God has given us. Thank God, because we don't owe any debt, amen, in our God-given property. That's why we can support those 100 missionaries in our mission board, and we can also help others who are in need. But I believe it's about time to also focus and concentrate on the needs that we have here in our church. Uh, our choir members were like uh, having this, not murmuring or complaining. We don't have enough space here in the choir loft. We need a bigger choir loft to, to sing for God. But that's a good problem, amen? amen. So do pray God's people for God to grant us that favor. All right? So I'm excited to uh, continue our series of study in the book of Romans. I said one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I think this is our third message. And uh, I like to continue. We're still in chapter one of the book of Romans. And uh, we have a Bible pledge that we always recite here in our church whenever we can. And let me... Uh, once again, quote it to you. It says, This is my bubble. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
It tells me who I am, what I can become, and where I am going. It renews my mind, changes my heart, and refreshes my soul. It is my daily spiritual bread. By faith, I will believe its promises, obey its commandments, and honor its principles in my life. With the Bible as my guide, I will walk by faith. There it is. And not by sight. I will walk by faith and not by sight. And in this lesson, we will also look at uh, some uh, definitions and instances of faith in the Bible. But if you have your Bibles with you, amen? The Holy Word of God, I'd like to encourage you to please stand with me as we give honor and reverence to the reading of this passage of Scripture. We'll turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, just four verses today. And we entitled our lesson, our message today, Four Fearsome Factors Regarding These Verses of Scripture. Uh, I'll be a little bit serious, serious note this, because there's fear there, you know, in that title. But um, we uh, started in introducing the um, author of this book, of course, the Holy Spirit, and he inspired Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christian uh, missionary, and also uh, our apostle to the Gentiles to pen this wonderful book. He'd never been in the church in Rome. He desired to go. That's why he wrote this book to the saints who are scattered in this uh, Roman territory. And he would like to visit them and impart them some spiritual gift. And he thanked them for uh, their prayers, their testimony in spite of persecution. So we had that in the first two uh, studies that we had. So we will read now verse 16 to 20 all together. Then we'll have a word of prayer. Then we'll dive into the message. If you're there, say a hearty amen. amen. Okay, let's read it all together. Begin. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God had showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Let's look to Him in prayer. Our gracious God and Almighty Father, we come to Thy throne of grace today. We humble our hearts. We acknowledge, Lord, that You are a sovereign God. You are holy, righteous, and just. We are just vile sinners, Lord. We are just forgiven sinners saved by the wonderful and marvelous grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for this very moment that you allowed us to be in thy house. We know, Lord, that this is your day, and we can relate to the psalmist that he was glad when he was in the house of the Lord. Lord, we are here to worship you, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and our special music had sung it, Lord, you are our Savior, you are our friend. You've been a great God to all of us. You provided protection for us, our daily needs, material and physical, but most of all, spiritual and eternal needs. Lord, 
truly we are nothing without you. So today, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, cleansing, Lord. Cover us with the blood of Jesus. Wash us white as snow. If you see any iniquities in our hearts, any trespasses, anything that we've done knowingly and unknowingly in our thoughts, in our deeds, in our actions, Lord, forgive us. We claim your promise that if we confess our sins, thou art faithful and just to forgive us from all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know, Lord, sin is such a hindrance, an obstacle, a wall for us to receive any spiritual blessings. And help us, Lord, to divorce ourselves with the cares of this world, our problems, and let us learn to have a, an understanding heart and a listening ear as we uh, look at this passage of Scripture that you have set before us today. Protect us from this place, and maybe everything that we do, Lord, will be uh, acceptable unto thy sight as a sweet-smelling savor. Hide me behind the shadow of the cross, Lord, that the message will be seen not my infirmities. For we pray, pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may all be seated. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Let me ask you a question. Is God a righteous God? Amen. We all agree with that statement, isn't it? Is God a just God? Amen. Is God fair though if he's righteous and just to let a person die and go to hell? Who has never once heard the name of Jesus? You'll have to admit that's a good question, isn't it? And last Sunday, if you recall, we talked about the gospel that Apostle Paul is not ashamed, isn't it? He was faithful to that. He was flexible to it. You know, despite of the opposition of the gospel and different things, he still would like to preach the gospel wherever he goes. As we know, God is righteous. God is just. And there's no other way to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't get the, the sentimental idea that all religions are somehow connected. That all these religions are all roads and, and way to eventually reach God. It's like an uh, illustration that we always remember with what Pastor Abel had taught us. Like, you know, God is on top of the mountain and man is trying to make a path, a way to have a trek or a hike to go on top of the mountain and reach God. So you all take different roads, but the destination is the same. But my Bible tells me not so. Amen? Because there's only one way to get to heaven. And what does the Bible says? We have a verse here, a slide in John 14, 6, a very familiar passage of Scripture, where the Gospel of John always exemplify the deity of Jesus. Jesus is God. And since he is God, and since he's the ultimate sacrifice for sin, he is the only way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come to the Father, to God's throne is, to God's abode is, to heaven, except by him. Amen? Clearly taught in the scripture, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Now, if somebody can, some, can come to heaven some other way, then what does that make Jesus? A liar, isn't it? It makes him a liar. And if Jesus Christ is a liar, not only he is not their Savior or my Savior, your Savior, then he is not Lord. And what did the Apostle Paul say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Neither is there salvation in any other 
Because John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, He's the only way. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What is that name, brethren? The name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men. There is about 60 or more billion people who had lived in this world from the time that man was created by God until this moment. But there is no other name that can save a person except the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12. So this puts us on the horns of a major dilemma. Can a righteous, a good, and a loving, and a holy God let a man die and go to hell who never once heard the name of Jesus? How are we going to answer that question? Well, thank God we have the Bible. Amen? The Apostle Paul is going to answer it for us in Romans chapter 1. So I pray that you will listen and listen carefully because we don't have, once again, to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul began in verse 16 as we just read. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And look here. There, here is a man who's been, I think, for two decades been preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever I'm given an opportunity, you know, in a church, in a wedding, in a funeral, in a name it. If God prompt upon my heart through the leading of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel in a prayer, I will do so because it is the power of God unto salvation. And we should not be ashamed of what Christ had done for us. The more I preach it, the more I marvel at it. The more I believe it, the more I want to share it to others. Because it truly made a difference in my heart, in my life, and yours too, isn't it? It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. There's the man who started this church 35 years ago, who had been preaching the gospel for many, many decades. And I believe he is also not ashamed of sharing the gospel of Jesus. You know the testimony of Pastor Max? If he has a chance, he will share to you the gospel, whether you're in a taxi cab, amen, in a restaurant, because he is not ashamed of his Savior. When we read verses 17 to 20 of Romans chapter 1, we see here, and we can ask the question, how about those who've never heard the gospel, those who are lost, who, is God just, is God righteous, is God good to allow them to suffer in hell for eternity? I want to give you four factors that will help us understand this. The first point is the revelation factor. Factor number one is that revelation factor. And we can say that all men have some light. Notice that phrase, some light. So I want you to use your sanctified imagination. Amen? I want you to imagine that it's the end of time. And we had come to what we call the final judgment, like the great white throne judgment, as the Bible declares in the book of Revelation. And I want to see you, as you imagine, there are a, a group of people called the heathen, those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who practice sin, willfully pagans, and the accu accusation is made, like we're in a, in a trial, if you know law and order, isn't it? In that setting of a court, in that final judgment time, there's an accusation that's made. An indictment is given, as the Bible says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So the heathen, 
The pagans, they say, Your Honor, God Almighty, we're not guilty. We never heard the gospel. We never knew how to be saved. We are innocent by reason of ignorance. We never heard. We never knew. And the Apostle Paul becomes the prosecuting attorney. And the Apostle Paul says to our Heavenly Father, Your Honor, I will prove that they are guilty. I will prove that they are not innocent because of ignorance. I will show that they cannot say they've never had a fair and equal chance. And I will call two witnesses to testify against these who say they never knew. They never heard. Let's call witness number one. Will you take the stand? Witness number one, give the court your name. He says, my name is creation. In verses 19 to 20. Oh, creation, you're the witness that God exists? Yes, I am the witness that God exists. From verses 19 to 20. Amen? Creation testifies to the fact of God. Amen? Creation testifies to the fact, the reality of God. That's why we have this wonderful verse from the Psalms. Psalms 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. Yes, when we look at the starry sky. When we look at the birds in the air. The flowers of the field. Truly we can relate to that song. It took a miracle to hang the stars in space. Isn't it? It took a miracle for the birds and the flowers to be that beautiful and grand. Because there is a creator God. There is a creator God. Now, it's just logical. Amen? If you have creation, then you have to have a creator. And the Bible says that the creator is clearly seen by the things that are made. When I see a piano here, this baby grand piano. Is it a baby? Or adult? Okay. Baby grand piano here. If you see a piano, finely tuned and and in the fingers of Sister Rochelle, it can make beautiful music, isn't it? We see that it did not just come there out of nowhere. Randomly, it just popped out. All right? It has to be designed, crafted. It has to be tuned. So it will produce good music. I say when you have a watch like there, or wall clock or your wristwatch, you say that somebody crafted that watch in precision. When I see a building put together in symmetry and balance and purpose, you know that there was an architect, an engineer. And when I say this mighty universe has been put together, I see creation, I see a creator God. When I see order and system, I say there is intelligence. When I see design, I know there is a designer. That's the reason the Bible says, the fool had said in his heart, there is no God. Because witness number one is creation. You know this, this big term that they use in, in Bible school about proving the existence of God to creation is called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. The argument from cost and effect. You've heard that? Amen? It's one logical argument for the existence of God. As everything exists must have an adequate cost, so an all-powerful and intel intelligent God is an adequate cause to explain the universe. The scripture identifies that cause as the creative power of God in Genesis 1.1, and he's the one who caused and sustained everything that we have in this world. You see, creation is the first witness 
that they are without excuse. But then creation steps down from the witness stand and the Apostle Paul says, Now I call my second witness. Would you take the stand? Will you tell the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth? I will. Will you give us your name? Witness number two says, My name is Conscience. Conscience. So there are two witnesses. Number one is creation. It's the outward objective witness of the existence of God. But second witness is conscience. It is the inward subjective witness that there is God. Verse 19, we read that in Romans chapter 1. Because that which may be known of God is made manifest of them, for God had showed it unto them. So we can say, unto them, outwardly is creation, but in them is conscience. All right? That's why we also read in Romans 2, verse 14 and 15. Let's turn there quickly. Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, this having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written. Take that phrase, written in their hearts, that their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts demean while accusing or else excusing one another. For when the Gentiles, in other words, Gentiles are another words for pagan. Those who have never heard the gospel. For when the Gentiles who have not the law, the law here means the Old Testament law, the moral law of God. For when the Gentiles who have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. So there are two witnesses that all pagans, all heathen, and all the people, amen, on all the face of the earth have. One is the outward objective witness called creation. The other is the inward subjective witness called conscience. So we can say, in a summary, there is a built-in knowledge of God. There is a built-in knowledge of God. It's written in their hearts, the law of God, that there is right and wrong. Amen? That there is a God who is superior and eternal and a creator. It is what we call a God-shaped void inside of us, put in us by our creator. You know, one of the early church fathers and historians and theologians, his name is Augustine. You probably heard his name. I like to quote this. He said beautifully, he said, the soul of man is restless until it finds its rest in God. God made man to serve him, to know him, and until he does, he's like a round peg in a square hole. Or he is out of fellowship. Isn't it? Man is created by God to serve him and to know him. So it means if man can achieve the most successful status in life. I mean famous, have wealth and fortune, beautiful, outwardly speaking, you know. Tall, black, and handsome man mukha, alright? Gorgeous, sexy. You know, beautiful face, and probably these people had it. Look at Robin Williams, amen? Funny guy, comedian, famous, wealthy, even has a Jewish background, isn't it? Laughter is just the best medicine. Probably he will not wrinkle in his face because that's a guy who can really pull out something common and make it so, you know, uncommon and you can laugh at it. But what is the reason he took his own life? And hung himself. Seems like he got everything. About Lisa Marie Presley just recently. Amen. 
at the tender age of what, 54 years old, whose father is so famous in all the world, Elvis Presley, and she wrote on that fame and fortune and everything, but what happened? She ruined her life with addiction and abused because there's something empty and void inside a man's heart, isn't it? That only God can fulfill and fill. You can, you can list here examples of examples of brilliant people, sports icon, models, politicians, you know, but if they don't have God in their lives, they are empty. Now, what is an atheist? There's no real intellectual atheist. Amen? I, I research uh, for the past uh, decade or 50 years, there's what we call the four horsemen, four horsemen of uh, new age atheism, you know? Uh, probably you know Richard Dawkins. Uh, he died recently. Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, and I think this is the most famous one right now, Sam Harris, who goes around with a complete bodyguard <laughs> and debate, you know, Christians. And, you know, he's very vocal and he has his own podcast and everything. So they call them the four horsemen of the New Age atheist belief. And they said these guys are intellectual, brilliant people. But I can say atheists are not atheists because of intellectual problems. They are atheists because of moral problems. Amen? Ah, you might say, Pastor, I know some brilliant people who are atheists. Well, so what? I know some brilliant people who are not atheists. Amen? Well, I know some foolish people who believe in God. Well, I tell you, I know if you don't believe in God, you are foolish. Because the Bible says the fool had said in his heart, there is no God. You see, it's not a matter of intelligence. The Bible says in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because you see, all of us have a God consciousness. All of us have a God consciousness. It is not a matter of, of intellectualism. It is a matter always of morality. The fool had said in his heart, there is no God, Psalms 14.1. That's why they have this joke, you know, we live in a day of confusion, isn't it? Uh, we live in a American woke culture, so to speak. They blur the truth, isn't it? Uh, you don't really know if you're a woman or a man. <laughs> they asked a kindergarten, what is a woman? And he was able to answer it. And they asked the Secretary of Health, what is a woman? I cannot answer it. <laughs> so it's funny, isn't it? But we're living in a day and age as we live in perilous times, last days, before Christ would come, isn't it? That there will be blurring of the truth. That there will be no more belief of the absolutes. And there are total absolute truths in the Bible. And in this world that we're living in, gravity is an absolute. You can think, oh, I can fly like Superman. And you jump off 20 feet a story, you won't, even regardless of what you believe, isn't it? Because that's the reality of the law of nature of gravity uh, I, I just saw this it's, it's kind of funny for all of you sorry for the words excuse me morons out there asking for Father's Day and Mother's Day to be changed to a special person day remember they want you to be all inclusive you cannot really say father now mother because you might offend the other side you know uh, so for those who want to change that, just make it special person day. 
There is already a day just for you. It's April Fool's Day. <laughs> because the Bible says, we might laugh at it, but it's the reality, isn't it? They are getting blinded by the enemy, by the devil, who is the God of this world. Their hearts are darkened. Their understanding is darkened. And uh, I heard some nurses here, like, I mean, in, in, in my wife's company, now they have a form that they don't have that. Yeah, you cannot judge an individual by their biological birth gender. <laughs> has to be all-inclusive. Like, wow, how did this happen? It was not so, isn't it? But it was allowed. Allowed. And that's why we have to continue to teach our children what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. What are the absolutes from the Bible? Because this world is getting darker and darker. But the truth, amen, will always triumph. The lies of the enemy. So you see, an atheist is somebody who has the idea of God that makes him uncomfortable. So he says, if I can get rid of this idea of God, I can get rid of this uncomfortable feeling. But he really doesn't get rid of it. Not down deep. He's like the man who bought a new boomerang and killed himself trying to throw the old one away. As he went back. All right? The idea of God is still there. And the more he tries to get rid of it, subconsciously, the more he knows that God exists. Because down, in, down deep in his heart is that conscience of God. That's why they said there's no atheist in a foxhole. There's no atheist when the Titanic was sinking. There was no atheist when Flight 447 was going down. Even in the times of Jonah, remember? He was a disobedient prophet, rebellious prophet, so he was sleeping on, on the heart of the boat, sound asleep, out of God's will, where everybody is like praying to their own God, trying to lighten the ship because there's a great storm that's coming. And everybody was calling to their own God. And even those who don't believe in God start calling in some God for their life preservation. But Jonah, who was the one through God, Jehovah, was sleeping there. Let me know the story, isn't it? Throw me overboard. I'm the cause of this storm. God is getting my attention. And there was calm and peace, isn't it? You see? I love what Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet. Methinks thou dost protest too much. Methinks that thou protest too much. Have you noticed how adamantly so-called atheists make their point? You know, I have a slide here. You know, this guy is supposed to be funny, but sometimes uh, I'm offended. By what it says, you know, he's an outspoken atheist. Some, also the one that I mentioned a while ago, the four horsemen. You know, they are adamant on attacking people. Uh, years ago, there's this woman who ran for an office. I think her, her name is Sarah Palin, and she's an outspoken Christian from Alaska. That's why that's one of my favorite milk, Alaska. All right, condensed or evaporated. But you know what? Uh, she did a good job record as being a government, but he's a spoken Christian, and she values life. Uh, she has, uh, I think, a grandson or granddaughter who was born with handicaps, but they did not terminate that, that baby. Even they knew, by God's grace, it was still born. And by the way, January 28th is the 50 years of celebration of, for the March for Life. And as we know, it was overturned Roe v. Wade. And that's the start of this battle. But they're thankful that they had that, you know, uh, 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 passion to fight for the uh, unborn, for the innocent. And they celebrated 50 years, January 20th. So we thank God for this 
groups, these uh, non-profit uh, groups who, who fight for the life of a child and, and the mother. They want them to be educated. But people like Sarah Peel and people like Tim Tebow, you know, uh, Steph Curry or Jeremy Lin or, or uh, athletes and politicians who try to voice out their faith and they get attacked and maligned by this adamant uh, opposition of the gospel. You know, if she has really nothing that they claim, they should be able to walk away from it after they said their piece, isn't it? But they keep on relentlessly attacking and attacking. So they're so adamant, even though they don't believe in what they think, the no existence of God. But it cannot be denied. Amen? As I said, by the Bible, it's written in the hearts of men. You see? All men have some light. That's why John chapter 1, verse 9 says, That was the true light which lighted every man that cometh into the world. You can get around that, isn't it? That Who was the true light? Christ is the true light. When he declared in the gospel of John chapter 1, I am the light of the world which lighted every man that cometh into the world. So these two witnesses, creation and conscience, testify that the heathen, the pagans, no matter who they are, or where they are, have some light. I did not say, though, all light, but they have some light. Second thing, second factor here is the refusal factor. Now, here's the second preposition. The first factor is the revelation. The second is the refusal. And what is this factor? Simply put, light refuse increases darkness. Light refuse increases darkness. We read that in verses 21 and 22. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither they were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Because when they knew God, that is, they know by creation and conscience that God exists, but they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but their foolish heart was darkened. You see, all men have some light, but light refuse increases darkness. Now you see, you cannot just simply take light or truth and put it on ice, so to speak. You cannot put truth in your pocket and say, Oh, I heard the truth that God created me. I heard the truth that there is morality, there's right and wrong. And you might say, That's very interesting. I'll spend it someday if I need it. No, when God gives you light, when creation and conscience speaks to the heart of any pagan or any individual anywhere on the face of the earth, when God gives him or her some light, if he does not glorify God, if he does not believe in God, if he does not trust in God, he does not remain stationary. He begins to regress. And he even loses the light that he has. His foolish heart will be darkened, as the Bible says. So, we can say in the Bible, the opposite of truth is not error. It is, say it folks, sin. Now, the error is the baggage that comes with sin. I'm not saying that a man does not have error if he refuses the truth. But why does he refuses the truth? He refuses the truth because of the sin that is in his heart. That's why we read that phrase in verse 18, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now let's look at the word hold here. You know what the word hold means here? It literally means resisting the truth. 
or smothering the truth or holding back the truth. And how do they hold back the truth? Not in error, but the Bible says in unrighteousness. So why does a man not believe in God? Because to believe in God means that he has to adjust his lifestyle. And if his lifestyle is unrighteousness, is sinning, then he cannot accept the truth because he loved his sinful lifestyle. That's why the unbelief is the baggage that comes with his sin. Now, I don't think it's more graphically illustrated than in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Let's turn there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 to 12. I want you to listen to it as I read this passage of scripture as you read it. I think it is some of the most terrifying scripture in all the Bible. It's fearsome. It speaks of the Antichrist who's coming. And it says, Even in him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now listen to verse 11 and 12. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Now hold it, Pastor Sam. God doesn't send anybody delusion. Well, you'd better go back and read it. It says that God will send them a strong delusion. Well, why on earth would God send them strong delusion? Well, let's continue to read. It says that they should believe the lie. It gets worse, isn't it? Doesn't it? God sends delusion. Why does God send delusion? That they should believe a lie? Well, why would God send a lie? Well, let's continue to read. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all might be damned. Wow, strong words, amen? Seems to get worse, doesn't it? God sends a delusion. They believe a lie that they all might be damned. Why? Why would God do that? Well, let's continue to read. That they may be damned who believe not the truth. They had the truth, but they believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They heard the truth. They knew the truth. They turned from the truth, and they had pleasure in their filthy, dirty, rotten sin. And God says, all right, if you want that, if you want your sin, and with that sin, the baggage is delusion, a lie, damnation. Do we get it, folks? Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Here might be a man who come to our church or any other church on Easter Resurrection Sunday and celebration. And the church was taking a love offering for Jesus at that time. He goes away and says, Ha! Those Baptists! Those Christians! All they ever talk about is money. And he goes away all steam, hot under the collar, so to speak. It's the last time I'm ever going to go to that church. All they ever talk about is money, 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 money. Well, that's a lie. We talk about Jesus here, amen? We talk about giving to Jesus, and we're glad to do it. It's a blessing to give to the work of God. But you see, this man's problem is not the truth, but his problem is greed. He did not stop and ask, you know, if we are preaching the truth. That's not his problem at all. He knows if he'll open the Bible and listen to the Spirit of God and the truth is there. But the problem is his rotten greed. His greed. That's why he got so upset to begin with. So he leaves and he says, I'm never going back to the church again. Now his problem there is, is not between truth and error, but between truth and greed. And so he chooses his greed. Now what happens? 
He's home on a Saturday morning, several months from that time, some weeks from that time. Somebody knocks at his door. He's sitting there watching television, reading probably the sports page, got a six-pack of embalming fluid there. Embalming fluid there, amen? Licking himself to death. By his side, he's unshaven, you know, just sitting there on a Sunday morning. Wife and kids, though, are at church. He's by himself. There's a knock at the door. He opens the door, and there's two Jehovah's false witnesses that appeared. And he says, what do you want? Another Bible? And to cut to the chase, we're here to tell you, they said, that there's no hell. You just be good. You'll make it to heaven. Oh, sounds good. And he says, come in, come in. And he listens to them, and they tell him a lie. He believes the lie. Now he's done and lost. On the road to the very hell, he says, he doesn't believe in. Why? Because, as we read in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he received not the love of the truth. Amen? He had pleasure in unrighteousness. For this cause, God shall send him strong delusion that he should believe the lie, that he might be damned. You see, folks, if people hear the truth and the gospel right now, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is there, and they still reject it, refuse it, hold the truth, and have the pleasure in their sin, if they don't die before the rapture, and they go through the tribulation period, they will believe a lie. Because they did not believe the truth in the first place. Because the more you refuse the truth, the more it will harden your heart. The more your heart will be darkened. Now folks, listen to me. All people have some light. That's the revelation factor. The refusal factor is light refused increases darkness. By the way, these people who are in darkness really think that they are in the light. Isn't it? These uh, atheists, these people who don't believe in Jesus, because you look at verse 22, they profess themselves to be wise. But in God's eyes, they become fools. They're the ones who think we are the fools. Now they may have a PhD, but in spiritual things it stands for phenomenal dude. Alright? They worship science as a god, rather worshiping the god of science. They never ask, how did all of this get here? Or they worship themselves because they don't want to humble themselves and worship God. They don't want to confess and repent of their sin because they love their sin more than the truth that there is a just and righteous holy God that will judge them one day if they will not repent and ask for his forgiveness. Amen? Third thing, the reception factor. So all men have some light. Light refuse increases darkness, but there's good news. When you receive the light that God has given you, the witness of creation and conscience, light obeyed increases more light. Light obeyed increases more light. But some may say, now, now, Pastor Sam, there's a flaw in what you've been saying thus far. You've been saying that no man can go to heaven apart from Jesus. Amen. And neither creation, though, nor conscience tells you about Jesus. And so when you say that all men have some light, that is still not enough to save them according to what you've said. You are absolutely right. Creation and conscience only bring us to the fact of God. But if a man is not interested in the fact of God, then certainly he's not going to be interested in the way to God. Do you get that, folks? Because God 
is under no obligation to show any man the way to God who's not even interested in the fact of God. That's why we're so blessed here in America. Amen? Because we know and we've been taught, we've been preached, we can see different literatures, avenues through airwaves, through television. That's the fact that there is a God who created a man and a woman. Amen? Unlike those people who live in remote islands in the face of the world. You know, they have only the witness of creation and conscience. But for us, you know, we know the fact of God. And also we know the way to God. So the reception factor is light obeyed increases light. Light refused increases darkness. Light obeyed increases light. So how is God's righteousness revealed? How is the righteousness of God revealed? As we read in verse 16, 17 to 17, uh, verse 16 and 17, from faith to faith. Amen? Oh, won't you love that virtue called faith? Amen? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, uh, quickly, as a side note, there are six kinds of expression of faith that occurs in the scripture. There's what we call doctrinal faith, called the faith, refers to the content of Christian belief found in Jude chapter 3. So the first one, there's also called saving faith. is the faith in trusting in Christ and in Him alone for salvation. Like Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thine house. Well, to clarify that verse, that's not a promise that one, if one person in a, in a home or a family believes and gets saved, the rest will automatically be saved. No. The condition is still they have to believe in Jesus as the only way to get to heaven. But it's a good start, especially for the man of the house, the father, to be saved. There's more percentage that he will be able to bring the rest of the family, the spouse, and the children to God. But that happened in the Philippian jailer. So the saving faith, second kind of faith. There's what we call also justifying faith. is the believer's reliance on the fact that God has declared him righteous, like what happened in the life of Abraham, Genesis 15, 6. He believed in God and it was imputed or counted to him as righteousness. This is what we call, fourthly, the indwelling faith, which is trusting God's word um, through us. There's what we call also daily faith. is that day by day dependence on God. Amen? That's what we pray, Lord. Lord, by faith, protect me. Help me to be uh, productive today in my workplace, in my, in my school. Amen? Uh, you know, you drive and you cross the GW Bridge. Or you drive and by faith you are asking God to protect you, to make you be, be, be able to, to reach your destination safe and sound. Amen? It's like when you go to that bridge, do you think, oh, will this bridge hold all these things, these people? Oh, there's so traffic. Oh, there's like semis. Maybe the engineer or the architect, maybe there's like some, something's happening under. You, you don't think like that, isn't it? Or you'll be paranoid. You'll not drive. You'll not go to work. Amen? You'll not ride a bus to go to New York City. But by faith, you believe that it will hold. You will reach your destination. Amen? By faith, you, you know your tires will bring you there. It will not explode. Amen? Even if you haven't changed them for seven years. All right? And there's no more threadwear. All right? So, by faith, daily faith, we need that. Then the gift of faith. It's a special ability of faith resulting in a vision of what God can do. It's like praying fervently for something to be done in your behalf in prayer. So, faith is very important. So here, his righteousness is revealed to us from faith uh, unto faith. 
That's a revelation factor. You see, it says in Matthew 25, 29, Unto everyone who had, who had shall be given. So the more you obey the light, the more light you get. Amen? To illustrate this quickly, God speaks to a man through the witness of creation and conscience, and he says, God, I want to know you. It's like that song, no? Lord, I want to know you more. You know? God, I want to know you. I need to know you. I believe that you exist. That's faith. And he goes from faith to faith. God gives him more light. He says, I believe that. Then he goes from faith to faith. And he goes stepping in in that light, like that song, until he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, folks, when a man is ready to receive the gospel, God will get the gospel to that man. Even if he has to wreck an airplane and send a missionary in. Amen? Because that man had lived up to the light that God has given him. You know? Even if a woman who died, I don't believe that there's a woman or a man who died without some opportunity to have received Christ. Had they lived up to the light that God gave them. While all men don't have enough light to save them, all men have enough light to damn them. Had they lived up to the light that they had, they would receive more light. And you can find these illustrations all the way in the Bible. Just to name a few. How about the Ethiopian eunuch found in Acts chapter 8, isn't it? He'd been to Jerusalem, the most religious city on the face of the earth. Why he had gone there? He was there to worship. He had come all the way from northern Africa, from Ethiopia, in the day when there were no airplanes. He's just traveling now by chariot. Can you imagine that? All the way to Jerusalem. That's days of travel. And on his way back, he's still empty. He's still missing something. And, you know, there was this guy, an evangelist. His name is Philip. He's doing a great revival work in Samaria. But the Holy Spirit whispers to his heart and said, I have a mission for you. And he whisked him away supernaturally from that place and he start running behind the chariot of wheels what we call opportunity on wheels for the gospel because i want you to witness to that utopian eunuch and he was reading a passage in the book of isaiah he cannot understand he just came from the most religious city in the world in jerusalem are they still missing something the truth and philip was directed and guided by god the holy spirit to explain to him what he is. And he got saved. And he believed in Jesus. Isn't it? And we remember that fam famous uh, quote from him. What shall it hinder me not to be baptized? When they saw a body of water. So Philip baptized him. And God whisked him away again. Wow. You see? If you just live up to the truth that God has given you. He will send somebody to explain to you the truth that you receive. How about Acts chapter 10 about Cornelius, isn't it? A Gentile. He was not of the household of Israel, but Cornelius, an army officer, had hungered to know God. He looked up at the starry heavens one night, perhaps, as a private sentry on duty and said, Oh, that did not just happen by chance. Oh God, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are, I want to know you. And God gave Cornelius a vision. And then God got Simon Peter over there into the another house of Simon the Tanner uh, and said, Simon Peter, I want you to go over there. There's a man named Cornelius. I have spoken to him in a vision. You go tell him and his house how to be saved. And God got the two together and Cornelius got saved. You see, when you obey the light, 
that you have, God will give you more life. And I want you to think about this. Why should God show you more in the Word of God until you obey what you already know? Isn't that a good question? Huh? Young people, listen to me. God will not show you more of His will if you don't obey His God-given will right now in your life. You've grown up in a church, in a Christian home, and I know this world is getting worse and worse. There are bad influences out there, namely, amen? Social media, uh, bad influence from our unbelieving friends and everything. But I want to encourage you, the Bible should be always your guide. Because it's a light that will guide you in this darkened world. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Yes, the Bible teaches, you know, uh, gossiping is, is wrong, it's evil. Amen? Yes, the Bible teaches that you should, you know, dedicate your body as a living sacrifice before God. Don't ruin it with alcohol, you know, with addiction of some sort. We live in a day and age, as the Bible says in Revelation, it's going to be controlled by the spirits of pharma. Pharmaceutical. It's like sorcery in the book of Revelation. People will be under the influence of this because they're trying to avoid and, and get out of problems and, and the devil will whisper to their ears, this is the solution. Just numb your brain. Just forget for a moment. Take this. Drink this. Have this. And you will feel good. You will not feel the pain. You will forget your problems. Then you wake up. You have a bad hangover, amen? And the problem is still there. Huh? Now, you have more problems, actually. Isn't it? Why not just turn to the Lord? Why not just turn to Jesus who can satisfy your soul, who can give you guidance and wisdom? Why not turn to prayer and the Bible? Because He's all you need. He saved your soul already. And He can provide for the temporal, material needs of your life. I tell you, Jesus is all you need. So you have to focus on your spiritual spiritual condition because the devil, the world, and the flesh is always out there to get you and me. Amen? We need to wise up. We need to depend on God. So why would God show you more in the Word of God until you obey what you already know? Amen? Lastly, I have to close. Amen? I just saw it's already quarter to something. And I can smell some good things. All right? The reckoning factor. The reckoning factor. So there's the revelation factor. The refusal factor. What's that, the third one? The reception factor. I love that. Amen? Let's obey the truth. Live the truth. Live by faith. Amen? But here, this coming a day, there's going to be judgment. The reckoning factor. When God comes to judge us, what is God going to judge us by? Do you think God is going to judge us by the sin that we've committed? No. God is going to judge us by the light that we've rejected. Yes, we know Christ died on the cross to pay our sin debt, the penalty of sin. God's righteousness, God's justice was satisfied on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But it doesn't mean since Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that a person will automatically go to heaven. He has the responsibility to believe in faith. Amen? When the gospel is presented, because God is going to judge us by the light that we've rejected. Look at verse 
5 of chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 verse 5. It says there, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That's a good question, isn't it? Verse 11, For there is no respect of persons with God. There is no respect of persons to God. He's just simply saying that God knows how much light you have. Many of us have far more light than the other people. Not because you necessarily sought it, but you just happen to live in America where there's a church on every street corner. Especially if you live in the Bible Belt. There are Bibles everywhere. And it's not so much because you sought it, it's just simply by the providence of God that you have more light than others. That's why it's a blessing to be born and raised in a Christian home. Amen? Don't take it for granted, young people. But it's not also a license and, 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 and a reason since I was born and raised in a Christian home, I don't have really great testimonies at all. So probably it's good for me to taste what the world offers. I like to go on a quick U-turn. I like to taste the, what the world. You know, but you don't have to go to that route. Just listen to the testimonies of others who were deceived. Amen? And they will just say, I wish I got saved at an earlier age. I wish I give my heart and life to God. But I got ruined. I got scarred already. But God is still merciful. Amen? Still the God of second chance, third, fourth, many chances. If you will just humble yourself and submit yourself to God. You know? It's not so much that we saw it. It's just simply by the providence of God that you have more light than others. Now, what is God going to do? God is going to hold you accountable. More so than the person who's never heard, have never the opportunity to see more light. That's why I'll end with this verse, Luke chapter 12, verse 48. But he that knew not, Luke 12, 48, and did commit things worthy of strife, shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. Much given, much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they'll ask the more. It would be really bad enough for the pagan in darkest Africa to die and go to hell, who never heard the name of Jesus, who refused to live up the light that even he did have, but how much more a person would sit in an auditorium like this, air-conditioned, with a Bible in their hand, hear a preacher, tear his heart out, and beg people to be saved and live for God, and they will say, and absolutely, definitely no. If I had to go to hell, I'd much rather go to hell as a pagan, never having heard the name of Jesus, than go to hell from Bergen Bible Baptist Church from a service like this, or any other service. Isn't it? Makes sense? Listen to me, folks. The burning question is not, what is God going to do with the heathen? We've never heard. The burning question is, what is God going to do with you and me who heard the word of truth? Isn't it? Let's bow our heads. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, we can still ask the question, when you save the great apostle Paul for being Paul the persecutor, Saul the persecutor, to being Paul the most persecuted one. When you save him on that road, when he asks, Who are you, Lord? And what you have me to do? That's still a question that's reverberating right now. We want to know him, O Lord. Not because we feel obligated, but because it's the least 
we can do to the one who loves us so unconditionally and eternally. Who are you, Lord? Yes, you are our God, creator. You are savior. You are our friend. You are great many things, Lord. But the next question is, what would you have me to do? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I alive? Am I alive just to make money? Am I just existing in this world to enjoy entertainment or what the world offers? Is life more than that? Yes, life is more than that. For a Christian, life is beyond more than what the world offers. Yes, God wants to bless you for your hard work, labor. God wants to be with you as you pursue your goals in life. But in the midst of that, let me remind you, we need the Lord's guidance and direction every step of our way. Because without God's blessing, what we invest in this life will be futile, will be empty. Since God has given you a new life, and God wants you to live an abundant life, why don't you just give that life to Him and use it for His glory? Isn't it that's a good deal? That's a good trade-off for everything that God has done? So if you're here this morning, as we have this invitation, you've never truly understand what it means to have God in your life, to have been saved. I encourage you, I urge you, why not settle it once and for all? Why not trust Jesus today? It's simple to be saved because Christ did all the marvelous works. He lived here as a perfect life so He could impart to you His righteousness when you receive Him. But He came so He could die on the cross so He can pay the penalty of our sin because God is a just, righteous God. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot have it unpunished. He has to judge it, but He judged it to the merit of His only begotten Son. He died voluntarily on the cross vicariously. But thanks be to God, there is the power of His resurrection. After three days, He rose again. And now He's in heaven praying for you. He's the only way for you to be forgiven of your sins. It's not religion. It's not this church. It's not any good works. It's not baptism. But it's only your complete faith and trust upon Jesus. So is there anybody in this room, Pastor Sam, I've never done this before or I never truly understand it, how to be saved, how to be forgiven of my sins, how I can have a place in heaven. But right now, I want to settle it once for all. I want to raise my hand. I want to trust Jesus. I want to call upon His name to save me. Is there anybody in this room? Just raise your hand. I'll pray for you. This moment of invitation. Maybe you're hearing this woman online broadcast from now or any other time. I encourage you. Why not trust Jesus today? There is no name given among heaven whereby we must be saved. It's only through Jesus. It's the only way. The only acceptable way. You can call upon His name and pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I know I could never save myself. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and life by faith to be my Lord and personal Savior. Save me and help me to know you more. Live for you and serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. That's a prayer that the Lord will listen. 
prayer and the cry of a repentant sinner. For Christians here, are you thankful that God has given you light? And you're going to be accountable to that truth that you have. Don't hide the truth. But share it. Leave it out. Maybe you have unsaved loved ones and friends. Maybe you have classmates that they're looking up to you and your testimony is not that great. You, you had compromised your faith. You, you try to live like the world lives. You know, this egotistical kind of society. Me first. Whatever I feel is right. Whatever I look at that's pleasing to me, that will I do. That's the wrong kind of philosophy of life. The Bible tells us to have joy. Put God first. Put God others. Put others and last yourself. You'll find real joy. You've heard truth and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So let's fear the Lord. Respect Him. If you do that, we will respect others. And we will be gracious. We'll be courteous. You have the truth. That's why we go to Bible studies, Sunday school. We go to church because you want to learn more of the truth. Because Jesus is truth. Because the truth will always set us free. And sometimes truth hurts. It's like a two-edged sword, the Word of God. But truth helps. Truth heals. Truth gives us hope. Let's not live in a world of lies. God has already freed us from that. Through His Word. Through His Spirit. So whatever you want to pray today, the altar is open. In your altar of hearts, pray to God. Lord, first and foremost, thank you for my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for all the almost more than 7 billion people in the world you choose for me to be saved. Thank you, Lord, that I did not hold the truth and refused it, rejected it, and loved my sin and righteousness. But by your grace and mercy, you open my heart and I understand my need of a Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness. Now help me to learn more of the truth and share the truth because truth is always absolute. Truth is always relevant. And we can only find the true source of truth from the Word of God from the scriptures it's a great feeling it's a great way to live to live in the truth and not in a lie or hypocrisy so help us Lord help thy people as they pray Lord we live in a day and age of apostasy there are so many false ideologies teaching out there who even uh, people who mix truth with error seems so good, sounds so good, but we know it's the opposite of what your word teaches. Help us, Lord, to have that discerning spirit. Uh, preserve us, O Lord, and take away pride in our hearts because we cannot stand by our own. And we need to take heed because if we think we stand, lest we fall by our own self-conceit. Help us, Lord. Help us to depend upon you and help this church to continue by your grace, Lord. Continue to preach the gospel of truth. That all of us are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. But there is a God in heaven who loves us. Unconditionally eternally. And he provided a way for us. 
to be reconciled to God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.